poppin' for the blow. My money is told. Shotty at go. Till she seen it too. I've been feeling blow. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What's the Dealio? To the right of me, I have my partner, Mike Steinberg. What up, Mike? What up? Good morning, man. It's Friday, whatever. It's just another day. We have such a great guest today. So happy he's here. This guy's a freaking animal. He's a fucking beast. His name is Josh Cohen. Thanks so much for coming today. Thanks for having me, guys. What's up, Josh? What's going on, guys? So we dove in, man. We dove in for like 30 minutes before we hit record, and uh, we're just going to dive back in. We were dropping a lot of gems about a lot of different things. But Let's take it back from when you, came, you grew up in Pittsburgh, right? You came yeah. to New York. Yeah. You, didn't, you started with nothing. Yeah, I started um, with three grand, a Volvo S40. Uh, I think it was a 2008. Um and uh, I like the lines on that car for some reason. Now I look back, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? But yeah. And uh, gosh, man, I found a little one-bedroom in a three-bedroom house or apartment in Brooklyn right by the bridge. And, uh, you know, I took a job as a CFO at a construction company on Long Island. And I was doing that reverse commute, you know, two hours one way every single day, back and forth, back and forth. And... Um, what year was this, just for context? That, that was 2012. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I took a job at um, a construction company that we sold to a private equity fund eight months later, and I was weighing over my head. I mean, I had the experience to do the technical stuff, but I didn't know how to talk to people, if that makes sense. Of course. I mean, and, and that's everything, right? That's everything, man. Like, you could be the smartest motherfucker in the world, but if you don't know how to talk to people, <laughs> you're dead in the water. Yeah. Dead in the water. I, I think that's... Probably one of the most important traits, you know, in, in business and life, yeah. right? Like if you have the ability to make a connection, right, pretty quickly with, with humans, uh, you can really do anything. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's huge. It's huge. You're right. So, so take us to the next. So from there, you, you, you're the CFO of a, of a firm that you ultimately end up selling. Sold it and walked. And I walked away with nothing. So That's um, the fucking worse. Right? It, it is and it's not right because <laughs> looking back, like it helped me make myself into who I am today sure. with the help of God. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so then I was like, all right, well, I want to start my own business, but I don't even know where to start. So I just start buying domains, and then the next thing I know, you know, uh, I was at the end of my limit of my credit, you know, and I was probably 24 at the time. No, I'm sorry, I was 25 at the time. What's the end of a, of a limit at credit mean? <sighs> Man, I had three, three credit cards with 20 grand on it, right? So okay. I was like, shoot, like, what am I going to do? And um, my girlfriend at the time was like, well, all the hedge funds invest in these, these personal loans. So I was like, all right, let me go online. So I went to prosper.com and bam, you know, three-year loan, 25, 25K within like a day. And I was like, can I do this again? So then I found a way. I did it again. So then I went from upstart. So now I have two loans, 50K in cash, still have 20K in credit card debt. I paid on the credit card 10K and I just started buying sneakers left and right. Wow. And I'm not kidding. Within three months, I went from four boxes of sneakers to 400 boxes of sneakers. And I'm telling my, like, how am I going to get to 4,000 boxes of sneakers is what I'm asking myself. So then I get into belts and I get into jackets and I'm selling out Patagonia jackets left and right. I'm selling belts by the day. I mean, like 10 belts wow. a day. Wow. Wake up, go to Chinatown, 10 belts, put them online, tw- like 10 sold, back at it. You know, Straight switching the hustle. colors up. Just before and Amazon? I was telling everybody, too, these belts are fake. The jackets, I'm not sure about. The shoes were legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the receipts from Foot Locker. Yep. They didn't care. 
They didn't care. <laughs> That's crazy. They didn't care. I was making, all of a sudden, I'm like 25. I'm making 50K a month, 70K a month. I can't even count it. And, but, you know, then I don't have $400 in my pocket to take my girlfriend out to dinner or whatever. And she wanted to go out every single night. And I'm just like, this is too much, you know. But then again, like, I'm up late at night, you know, buying thousands of dollars of sneakers on eBay. And she's like, you love sneakers more than me. And I was like, you know what? I, I love you so much. You just can't support my passion. And so we went separate ways and I gave up the sneaker business. And uh, then I kind of just went back into a, a, a place where I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I, uh, I quit everything. I was day trading at the time too. So it was sneakers, belts, jackets, shoes. Did you pay back trading. the initial loans? Oh, this is what yeah. I, yeah. So 100%. You're, you're, yeah. 100%. Which was funny. Because I didn't fuck my credit up. Right. That's until, why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't fuck my credit up until I started my construction company. Now, this, so the construction company we sold, I was watching the calendar and there was earnout obligations, right? So the earnout obligation was coming to its last year and everybody knows that's where they're going to fuck you. If you're going to sell your business to a private equity fund, they're going to fuck you on the back end. Of course. As yeah. fast as they can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, so I knew it was going to happen. And sure enough, the general contractor left and he went down the street and he was like, fuck this. And then the sales guy stayed on for six months and started moving the work. Right. So we're all like taking hard money out on our houses or whatever, barely fucking getting by. And, you know, at the time it sounded stupid. Right. But like we got this, you know, 7,500 square foot, you know, class A office space in Hop Hog. Meanwhile, we couldn't even make rent. Yeah. Right. And um, I lived under my desk. I mean, I lived out on my fucking Porsche. You know, I literally gave up a job that was making 500K a year with all expenses paid plus my car paid to fucking go and make 80K a year. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Dumbest thing I've ever done. And so Were you locked into it? Is that like more so like I I chose a path that I had to commit to yeah. and it I didn't realize how difficult it was gonna be. Sure. Um You're trying to build an empire. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to build and I and I and I'm I feel like I'm being held back by all the people around me, but but really it was myself holding myself back and I couldn't see that because of drugs, alcohol, partying. You know, I was trying to do a lot of things to get attention. You know, I, uh, I had this magazine that an artist made. So I went in and just pimped the fuck out of it. I went to the Hamptons. I went up and down Fifth Avenue. If I saw someone with a nice watch, I got out of the fucking BMW X5 I had at the time. And I fucking handed him a magazine. And I told him to follow me on Instagram. And, uh, and sometimes they did. Sometimes they didn't, right? And then me and the artist get in a fight about the magazine. I'm like, whatever, bro. Like, then, then I started controlled. You know, at first it was sold. And, and then I started controlled. <laughs> and that's your current company. That's the current company. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so the magazine's just like not doing it anymore. Cause, but at this time I found out about sponsored ads. So I'm like, all right, I want to do what I always told myself I want to do as a kid. I'm going to go make a rapper. First, I'm going to start with a DJ. So I find a hot chick and she's all known on Vermont talk or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And I buy her speakers, a little fucking $600 mixer or whatever, and I just put that shit in the back of my Porsche, and I fucking <laughs> took her to every single bar, house party. I mean, we blew her the fuck up that, that summer. And uh, we fell in love with each other, but we weren't meant to be, if that makes sense. 
And uh, man, was that hell on the heart. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, so I woke up one morning. It was the middle of the COVID, and you can't make this up, dude. That's just, you cannot make this up. So, so I'm really lost at this point, and I don't know what the fuck's going on. Okay, I'm in outer space, and so I wake up, I leave my apartment, I go to ditch, I go to the DJ's house, and I'm like she's with another dude at this point. I'm like, I just got to take the loss. So I, I tell her flat out to her face. I'm like, look, like it was a Wednesday. I'm like, look, like I need a better chick. <laughs> and I, and I keep, I, so I, I check my phone and I hadn't made that much money during COVID. Like I was, a, I was, in, you know, I was brokering short term working capital loans and I was a partner at a, you know, at a large, you know, call, call room or whatever. But like, when COVID hit, the whole world stopped, right? So, like, the smart guys went and focused on PPP, mm-hmm. right? And they were they were already doing that. Sure. Um, the idiots like myself stuck to their guns stubbornly and tried to take market share. So, I, I kind of, you know, but, like, I wasn't really making So, I wake up. It's a July, July 28th, 2022. No, I'm sorry, 2020. And I... Check my phone. I was supposed to get a $10,000 wire, but my client sent me a $100,000 wire. And I'm like, what the fuck? This is a good day. I was like, dude, I must have eaten way too many mushrooms. Like, that. <laughs> so, so I. You got extra zeros up on this wire. So now I'm like, kind of like, and then I tell the chick, like, I'm, I need a new chick or whatever. I sit down on the beach and it's a Wednesday, right? And I, I hear this chick go, Josh. And I was like, so I sit down and we eat a little mushroom. She hands me a Montauk uh, seltzer. And um, uh, and then I was just like, you know, I'm going to ride with this one. So I uh, uh, got her pregnant right away. And <laughs> we were sad because we wanted a girl. But then we found out we were having a boy. Best thing that ever happened to me. I get my shit straight. I get into this bar fight at Shagwong like that November or whatever as I'm finding out I'm about to be a new dad. And um, I go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting the next day. Quit drinking. Wow. Yeah, straight up. Now, I still drink a little bit from time to time now, but, like, I quit drinking for, like, a solid two years. And I uh, started taking my shit seriously. I left the beach. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I moved to Midtown Manhattan. My buddy had just built a brand new building at the time or whatever. I was like, get me the fucking nicest one I can afford. I take it. I then just really start focusing on oil and gas. Uh, right before my son was about to be born, um, I I get on a plane, and I just caught a wire. So I get on a plane, and I fucking start going out to Midland, Texas, and I get into trucking. I get into heavy haul trucking, short distance, heavy haul, just moving big pieces of equipment. Um, and the guy was about to go to jail, right? He had not paid taxes on $150 million in revenue. And so the first thing I do when I get down there, he'd already paid me, right? So the first thing I do when I get down there is try to help him assess his situation because it seems like there's something there. So I I call my uncle. My uncle's like, dude, how are you not in jail yet, bro? I'm like, because I don't break the law. Like, I just, you know, like some of the people that I've worked with have broken the law. And that's not a reflection of me. That's me trying to help people that I see, you know, potential in, right? Um, And, you know, he got fucked. Like his accountant didn't pay his taxes, so, uh, and then I call my bankruptcy lawyer and my bankruptcy lawyer is like, dude, like 
there's nothing we can do here, you know, other than you just go and turn yourself in. Uh, you're saying this to the business owner. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm like, man, I, I feel like we're going to make this through. But I was just getting this, this, I didn't know what it was, but I just felt this energy in West Texas. And a lot of people in West Texas are like, get me, get me out of here. But I wanted to stay in West Texas. It's just there's something about being in the desert in a lawless land where people were making hundreds of millions of dollars and literally starting companies overnight with just a GC license and 20K and turn it into a $30 million business within two years. Crazy. Only place in America that I've ever seen this happen, right? So I call, I call it. I call $100 barrel oil on a meme, and then I promoted it, and it uh, went viral. I got like 3 million views, 10 million views within a very short period of time. Wow. And at this time, no one was calling $100 barrel oil. And I tried to do this before, and every time I tried, I failed. Right? I was wrong. I'm trying to predict like the most complex number in the world a commodity price that has a lot of greed and a lot of ties to it. And so I call it, and now all of a sudden, I've got 1,500 unsolicited oil and gas deals. Unsolicited. Just from the meme? Just from the meme. And I have no idea what to do with them. So I shut my doors for six months, and I focused on securities law. Because I knew that having a good debt platform wasn't going to take me to where I wanted to go, and I might not even be able to survive at the pace I was growing. So I had to fire almost all my guys, and a couple of them stayed with me, and I had to reposition some stuff, and I had to get my life kind of back on track because I was letting um, certain things guide me down ways that I knew I shouldn't be going down for you know, the benefit of myself and my family and my son and... So I, I, uh, I just, I learned securities law and then I, I listened to people that I have respect for and learned some stuff and I figured out how to do the, the reverse takeover, the reverse merger. And so I then found the, the, the niche. The niche was really high potential small private companies and they don't have access to capital like they need. And so the answer for them was to go public because going to private equity isn't in necessarily their best interest. It's not for every scenario. Private equity is a great tool if you want to buy out and you want a job and you see kind of like a, a path to an end, right? An exit plan. An exit plan, right? But if you don't, if you want, if you've got a lot of fire in your belly, you just want to do it at a bigger scale. If you see a lot of runway in front of you, uh, an exit in the least dilutive way possible is through a reverse merger or reverse takeover public company where you can maintain control of your company and at the same time, you can increase the value of your company more in line with the public market. And now, if you're, let's say you're doing $45 million a year, $16 million a year in EBITDA and you're a trucking company and you want 70 million bucks for your company, but it, you're having a hard time getting that, well, going public is the easiest way to maintain control of your company and sell just a little bit of equity for a lot of money and, um, and then grow. You know, your access to banks is that much greater. Your access to getting other companies to partner with you and joint venture with you and come together with you is that much greater because now you have a currency that you've created with your own company by taking the privateness of the equity in your company and making it public.
So, so just to stop you for a second, you said so much that my head is fucking spinning. <laughs> yeah. I'm still back to mushrooms, beer, pregnancy, yeah. uh, West Texas. Yeah. Uh, and we're getting into the nitty gritty actually yeah. of, of what I'm really interested in learning about because being a private business owner, you know, hearing about what you're about to talk about, I'm super interested in because, um, I don't have much knowledge there. And a lot of my clients, you know, do go the private equity route. Yeah. And I'm heavy in the private equity space. Yeah. A lot of friends in that world. Um, but let's back up for a second. So how old's your son now? Two and a half. Two and a half. So great age. It's the best age. age. So great so age. <laughs> it's funny because Mike said before we jump in, like, you know, what what's the what's the nucleus of this discussion? The nucleus of this discussion has to be just whatever the hell seems right to talk about at the time. I need to understand what changed the most in your life as a result of hearing that you're going to be a father. I've realized that it wasn't about me anymore. And uh, I was able to really take the purpose that I wanted, which was to create to a level that I always wanted, always wanted. And I feel like, you know, I say I'm, I'm going here because there's a lot of similarities between yeah. you and I, like, and you know, as before we were, we hit record and I started talking, you asked me about my, myself and, you know, I told you that I lost my mother right after college and, um, you know, at, at a certain point, just like, in that moment, didn't care if I lived or not, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the first and only thing that made me really give a shit about life again was my first son. Right. You know, so it's like, you know, everything for me completely became like a light, like a light switch just yep. switched. And like the world was in color again mm -hmm. where, you know, I had very deep, dark days before that. Same here. And, and I sensed that, you know, so, um, I think it's really important for people to hear this stuff when we're talking about like success and entrepreneurship and fucking gold Rolexes, which <laughs> we're both wearing and, you know, oh, same color, exactly, which you don't see a lot, which yeah. you don't see a lot, but I'm, you know, and, and like, I love the street hustle in you and like, you know, the fact that you were just willing to take shots at so many different things. I, I, you know, myself was very similar and, you know, it, it's, it's really nice to to see that you're, you know, at this place in your life where you have so much more clarity and, and, you know, you, you want to help other people and make an impact and teach people to, you know, be successful. And I think we all share that. You mentioned that earlier. As oh well. yeah. And it's, it's awesome to see. So I want to commend you. And the fact that you're, you know, emotional about these things is fucking awesome. Cause I, I think that honestly, I think as, as men, like, you know, we're, we're, we're taught to like be proud and be so masculine and, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, it's all a fucking charade that like, you know, what, what guys don't get is the more you can open up to other guys and be like, yo bro, like this is a brotherhood. Yeah. You're real. You're just straight up real. And then you get not enough of that. And that's, shit. that's how you go from making millions to having a shot. At yeah. a billion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're I real about the situation. You're real about everything in life. Everything, no man. fucking games. Everything, man. But that meme, that meme, 
you probably when you found out you had 10 million views and that shit was going viral you were like what the fuck is happening dude okay so so here's here's the craziness of it right because people think that i'm full of it because they can't they don't live it and they can't comprehend it and then now people start realizing at this point right of the juncture like i'm not full of it but you know i'd also say too like mistakes that people can make are talking about things premature it, it's really important if you're gonna do that to to let people know like this is real and this is new but at the same time like i i recognize that i'm not necessarily capable of being this in this position right now so like so after that meme right and all these deals and then restructuring my my business right well, the haters came out of the fucking woodshell, man. I was getting lawsuits left and fucking right over bullshit. Things that weren't even lawsuitable. No obligation. And that's why they all went away. All of them. Every single one of them. Um, loan sharks that were trying to create false debts. All this stuff. So I was like, wow, man. Like, looking rich ain't really doing it for me right now. So I'm going to start looking broke. I'm going to start looking broke. I'm going to give my bench truck brand new to my chick i'm gonna take my porsche and i'm gonna take it off my house and i'm gonna just you know buy an old thousand dollar rusted up pickup truck and i'm gonna humble myself because maybe it's humility that i need mm -hmm. more than anything and um you know at this point I, I had run through a few geologist firms like you know, we had built the book up from maybe like a couple hundred million dollars in contract to literally like $10 billion in contract overnight um, as far as like exclusively awarded opportunities. And then um, and then I lost it all overnight by bringing the wrong people in and then having a bunch of people like backstab me, sabotage me. And it was all my fault. It was all my fault. Because if you think for one second that success happens overnight and that you can just put people in a room and remove yourself out of the room, you're fooling yourself. Like, there is no such thing as comfort at all. At all. You've always got to be comfortable. You've always got to be contributing. You've always got to be leading. And I was doing a poor job of leading because I wasn't capable of doing it at that point in time. And so, so I lost my entire book of business, except maybe a couple hundred million dollars worth of exclusively awarded deals. And I, um, I was like, okay, the, the economy's changing. You know, I can't operate as a boutique investment, uh, synthetic investment bank anymore. I have to operate as a, as a SaaS because the $25,000 wires aren't coming in like they were. So, so I'm doing, well, maybe I need to go after 2,500, right? And if I can do that twice a day, well, that's still $2.4 million in services revenue. And if I, if I make sure that that's separated from the assets that I'm trying to build with the stocks, then, okay, now that's that's how we need to approach this. And you can't do it all yourself because you to think that you can just scale a business that you can remove yourself out of, like all the gurus tell you, like they're lying to you to sell you a course. That's it. That's it. You have to really be in your business 24-7, 365, do or die, right? It's either all in or all out. And um, you eat, live, and sleep your business. Yeah, so... I think there, you know, there, there are, I think the businesses that we run and yeah. that we're talking about, you know, I work with many different types of businesses where you can absolutely buy a business that will, you know, a franchise that with the right operator in there that you pay well, you know, you could absolutely not you totally be present, could. you know? Yep. Um, but yeah, but. 
continue. No, you're totally right. Yeah. Right. Like, see, that's something that I haven't personally gotten. Into, Me neither. Right. <laughs> I haven't. I wish. Yeah. No, and, it, and it's interesting because listen, I'm getting getting older now, and I have a lot of different types of businesses and founders of concepts that are clients of mine and I advise them and I, I get to look at all these different types of businesses where sometimes I'm like, why the fuck didn't I choose these businesses? Like, right. they're so much easier than what I do and herding cats and having a bunch of brokers out on the street that don't want to be managed because they work for themselves and blah, 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 blah. You know, and regardless of how much money they're making, they're the, the proudest people on the planet. Yeah, right, you yeah. Know, as if Because they figured it out. It, of course. Meanwhile, I'm signing their checks. I know what they're making, yep. right? But at the end of the day, they're acting like, you know, everybody in the industry, in the commercial real estate brokerage space, acts like they have, you know, 20 times what they actually have. Oh. It's just commonplace. Well, you know, it's, it's like interesting, right? This interesting dilemma. Because, like, there's no shortage of hedge fund guys and private equity guys that don't have a job right now. They want to come and park themselves at a boutique firm, but they need to make 50 grand a month to start. And it's like, <laughs> I, I mean, I can show you how to do up. that. Yeah. I can show you how to do that. Yeah. But that guy that is working 100% commission-based, like, he doesn't require that, and he knows how to pick up and go. Exactly. He has no choice. He doesn't have a choice. Yeah. Which is what the only business I know. Is you eat what the fuck you, you, kill, you kill. Yeah. Which is why I have to kill all day, right? And have been for 23 fucking years. Like, to your point, there's no such thing as overnight success. Like, if there is an overnight success, either it's completely full of shit or... Or it's a luck of the draw. Yeah, or hit the or, it, or it's a family business. Yeah, or it's a, yeah. yeah of course. I yep. have a question for you, Josh, you know, because I know you've, you've done some huge things. We're working on some deals together. What was your biggest deal that you've done? What's your most proud deal that you've done? Put it that way. Um, man, I don't know. I have to think about that. Um, I'd, I'd say right now my current situation is what I'm most proud of, right? Um, he's an older gentleman, and he's accumulated a billion dollars worth of assets. Well, actually, like two and a half billion dollars worth of assets. It's, it's really, it's an anomaly. And everybody I've spoken with in oil and gas is like, how did you get this guy? And I told him, cold call. I got him off the phone. I got him off well, the again, phone. Well, again, it goes back yeah. to like, you know, your personality and being able to connect with somebody, which Mike is a, is a, a, a G at. As I think well. we all are. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have to be again. Yeah, you have to be. If your life depends on it, right? You got to figure out ways to connect with people. And if you're in the sales business on any level, your business is connecting with people. Yep. But go ahead. So that's interesting. So, so he's in a, a pickle, right? So he had to take, so he bought, okay, listen to what this guy has, right? <laughs> so this guy has 800,000 mineral acres across America. And what a mineral acre, what a lot of people don't understand, okay, so there's, this is the ground that we all stand on and you can build up and you can go down. Now people think oil is a bad thing and those people are uninformed. Oil, if not, the way we discovered oil in America was in places like Pennsylvania where there were tar pits. Right. Okay. They weren't then, drilling randomly to find oil. The oil seeped up to the ground, right. right? And then it created a tar pit. Well, then we realized, wait a second, there's use for this, but if we don't pull it out, 
it could have a detrimental impact on America or on the world really and destroy the world, right? But if we figure out how to use it, so then when we figure out how to use it, then the world become became more cohesive. Things started happening. Progression of society started happening, right? To think that drilling oil and creating carbon is going to deplete the planet of its natural resources, that's somebody that doesn't understand that the ozone and water need carbon in order they consume carbon trees consume carbon 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 is a natural chemical we did not create this and the environment has a way of self-regulating itself sure so now okay so there's these tar pits right okay so whatever so the the mineral acreage means how many acres you have below the ground right so when you when you own the land you own what's below it you own okay when you own the land in in as a real estate agent if you look at real estate contracts so (laughs) look at a real estate contract in a state like pennsylvania Mm -hmm. or in a rural area okay on a large track of land and you'll see in there whether or not you own the minerals or not got it so it's almost like air rights in new york city it's the exact same concept the exact same concept that's pretty that's one of the most brilliant ways to put it and i don't know why other people haven't Yeah, yeah yeah right so it's like owning air rights in New York City, except below the ground, wow. right? And so, well, let me ask you a yeah. question. So, can we actually buy if if some if somebody doesn't own the mineral rights of what's below their land? Yep. Can we buy that? And who owns it? So, if they don't, there are mineral owners all over America right. and the world, right? And sometimes they're for sale, and sometimes they're not. A lot of times they're not for sale. So the the what ended up happening was leases so long-term yep. leases so long-term leases but they have to be held by certain things in, in most cases production meaning like you have to have drilled a well and it's got to be producing and that allows you to hold the lease otherwise they can become invalid it's very complex just like real estate got it yeah it makes sense right does the guy that you're referring to own a lot of the mineral rights below land that he doesn't own he he, he, or, he or is it all land he owns he, that's he that's, like almost every other major oil and gas in america leases it because now see here's something that people don't realize right the federal government owns the most minerals well i was kind of assuming that right? that's where i was going yeah. so the federal government owns the so they recently shut off new leasing sure so without being able to lease property like we have no idea how much oil and gas is under america right now everybody claims venezuela has the largest base of oil and gas and and that's true because that's what's been proven and discovered but we barely scratched the surface in America. Like when people talk about like, well, what's the importance of Alaska? Well, Alaska has more reserves in it probably than anywhere else in America. Um, but again, you, you know, there's like, that's like a secret in the sense of like, it's not broadly broadcasted or talked about. And that's because it's very expensive to drill up there. You know, we're talking about like $25 million a well for yeah. one well. Yeah. Right. Whereas like the normal cost to drill a well, you know, uh, call it like a 10, well, at El Dorado, we're one of the few groups that can actually drill a 10,000-foot lateral well, fracked and perforated for $2 million bucks. $2 million bucks. Safest energy bet in America. And nobody else can do that. Our competition is drilling in at $5 million bucks. So, um, and it was staying ahead of the market. You know, the older gentleman, Tom, you know, he bought a million feet of casing when it was cheap before supply chain issues at like two bucks a foot. Right now, the going rate's like fifteen to twenty dollars a foot. Right, this guy, this guy bought eight properties, all between one hundred and two hundred thousand square feet, 
spread across South Texas, okay, with hundreds of millions of dollars of equipment sitting there. I mean, so a lot of people don't know what to do when they find themselves in a situation like this. Maybe they have one or two guys, right, that they can kind of call or, well, our goal was to be the most known in a very small industry, just like you guys, right? So with oil and gas, I picked up the phone. I called every single operator because all the public data was out there on the railroad uh, commission. I left a little voicemail. I said, hey, this is Josh Cohn with Predator Oil, a company that I just started. Uh, we're looking to partner. We've got access to capital. We have capital. We have tools. We have resources. We have labor. We have a I had no idea where any of this was going to lead until I met Tom. Well, Tom. How far, how long into this cold calling, essentially, did you meet Tom? Man, well, okay, so I... Months or like... My buddy told me about a phone system, so I start leaving voicemails, you know, 10,000 at a time. Yourself, actually Myself. leaving them. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. picking up, just smiling and dialing. Literally, bro. <laughs> what I did was I recorded a 50-second voicemail on my phone, and then I uploaded it into this new phone system, and I read all the laws, and I made sure I followed them, because there's a lot of laws <laughs> about doing this, right? I made sure I followed them, and I left. I clicked the button, and then I left ten thousand voicemails. Holy shit! I'd never seen anything like this before. I had five hundred calls back within an hour. My phone was blowing up. I couldn't answer them all, so I I responded back. Can I can I call you later with a text message? And then I told them, "This is Josh Cohen. Here's my company, Predator Oil, a company I just started." Right? People wanted to talk to me. I now I had some people get the fuck out of here. Stop wasting my time. Whatever. That's just part of life. Damn Yankee. <laughs> so that phone system was really the key right there to get it out to mass amount of fucking people. Part of it because I'd already been focused on LinkedIn and social and Instagram. We speak in Mike's language. Yeah, because LinkedIn is a very powerful tool. One of the most powerful. It really is. It's, it's really powerful. B, if you're on B2B, you better be on LinkedIn. You have to be on LinkedIn for presence and you have to be on Instagram and Facebook for presence. Yeah. It, very different audiences. Hugely yeah. different audiences, but both just as valuable. You can 100%. do anything on LinkedIn. I just literally, I got these two hotels in South America, $200 million deal. Wow. I reached out to Marriott. I reached out to all the top people. I, I reached out to Marriott. They got back to me. It's amazing. You, know? you reached out to them on LinkedIn? On or? LinkedIn. I reached out to the, the owner of Marriott on LinkedIn, and I said, I have a hotel for you. He put me in touch with his uh, South America team. Wow. I hate the LinkedIn messages. Am I the only I just one? Do I fucking hate it. You it's can so automate spammy. It. You I can get automate so it. so much spam. Oh, you know what? It's the law of large numbers. Yeah, of course. It really is, But man. you have to read them, that means. <laughs> you can have someone do them for you. You yeah. can have someone do them for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good idea. So the, the 10,000 uh, companies that you hit, you had all their information already. You were able to get that list. Yep, I, down, I, I found it online. That's what I love. You're just resourceful. You know what I mean? So resourceful. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've spent probably this year alone probably about $100,000 on data. And the best data that I've always come across is either free or $2,500 a month. Plain and simple. And you know what? They're, you need them both. There's no, both sec there's no secrets Crazy. out there. No secrets and nothing is 100% free. But like, but like there, there are tips... That like the inside guys know, right? Yeah. And the more tips you have and the more resources or the more, like nowadays media is so cheap. Whereas before it used to be so expensive, you know, it could cost 10 grand for a Bloomberg press release. And now it only costs $400, right? And, you know, but you need to have 
real substance. You have to provide a contract. You can't just take out a press release just to take it out, right? And and it's got to be backed up, right? So, you know, and in, in now getting that press release out is really where your money has to be spent. Putting that in front of... So when you take out a press release, like the first thing we do, we put in our email system and, you know, we send 250,000 emails a day to accredited investors and family offices and wealth advisors. It's a big list. Yeah, and then, you know, now when we take on a sponsored... Uh, now we're, we're basically what we're able to do is the following within two weeks, we can have a securities attorney prepare an sec regulated document that allows you to go raise money from masses. Okay. And it used to historically cost people 25 K and, and, and take about two to three months, but with technology and resources, we figured out how to get that done in two weeks for 2,500 bucks. And we also figured out the law that we could market it ahead of that and accept reservations. Right. So is that crowdfunding or in a sense, right? So crowdfunding, you have to break down into the following major three uh, ways to do it. Way one is what's called a regulation a with the securities, uh, the sec. And that allows you to raise up to 75 million under a regulation a there's two tiers and you have to file the paperwork and you'd have a securities attorney do this. This is a to go public path, right? Because you're, we're back to the going public path. Cause I want to learn it, but, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is this is a path to going public, and it allows you to create a large shareholder base. Um, and you know you've got to market. You know they've got to have familiarity with it. You marketing is everything in life. So you've got to do digital media. You've got to do all sorts of outreach. You've got to have a lot of people talking about the stock or the company, and that's that's how you raise money in our reggae, right? And it's. You know, hundred dollar, twenty five hundred dollars. Also, also, how you get a book to be on the New York Times bestseller list? It's everything. It's it's everything, right? Now, now there's the Reg CEF, which is a five million dollar cap, and you know, I always tell people I don't know because I've never done a Reg CEF, and I know a lot of people that have. I just haven't personally done one, but I focus on a Reg D because that is uh, the easiest to accomplish in the shortest period of time, and that is a syndication, right? So. A Reg D 506C allows you to market unlimitedly, solicit broadly, only accept investments from accredited investor on up. And what I always tell people too, right? Like in order to establish a large base of investors that are accredited, that takes a lot of marketing, money, and time. And credibility. And credibility. You're not gonna do that overnight. It takes time. And yeah. it, you have to be hitting every channel, social, email, text, phone, in front of you, you know, billboards, that kind of crap, right? You have to Grant, be doing Grant it. Cardone's doing a pretty good job. He's at doing it. a great job <laughs> at it, right? So on our platform, what we specialize and focus in on is the following, taking companies into a path to go public and then taking them public either onto the pink sheets and the, the real companies, you know, I'm going to count it by trades. So we do all the due diligence. They're real companies, okay? And, I, you know, Penny- The fact that you're an accountant is just fucking comedy. Kind of. Right? Like you do not <laughs> you look, bring that you're, up. you're the opposite of, of, of what I would consider an accountant to look like, right, yeah. which is great. Um, and, and your business acumen obviously is <laughs> unique for an accountant. Yeah. I think like, you know, being a kid in the nineties or whatever, right? Like I always wanted to grow up and create a rapper. And <laughs> when I, I, yeah. I, I just wanted to be one. So. You wanted to be one, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. No, I know. Like, it's just, you know, we're all kind of the same at it's the end of the day. We're all the same dude, goal. You know, it's so funny. How, you know, but we're just all a product of MTV, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Which it's a shame that MTV, you know, is where it's at today, right? Like, but yeah, no, that's funny, man. It is, yeah. 
Um, so back to the public route. Yeah. So a private company that wants to go public. Well, first off, what would you, what types of characteristics would you say the company needs or should have in order to actually? Yeah. And I'm thinking about it like for myself as a business owner. Yep. If I want to take my company Sabre public. Yep. What do I need to do? All right. Well, so you need to sit down and schedule an hour long meeting with me, right? Okay. That's all you need to do. And we just need to evaluate your situation together because going public might not necessarily be in your best interest, right? Sure. You might be more molded towards a family office network, right? You're already heavily in private equity, you know, but going public might be the right thing, right? right. Like I, I was telling It's people, not right for everybody. It, it's like not. Like anything else. It's not, right? Like what we've gotten good at, and, and I'll also be clear too, right? We're not everything to everybody. We, we found, just like you guys did, we found a very narrow niche, a space, and got good at it and um, are constantly focused on developing that and building that, knowing that it's not always going to be an easy road and there's good times and bad times, right? So, but going public, um, you know, okay, I'll give you a couple examples of IPOs we're working on right now. So, okay, number one. My homie was huge in entertainment, right? He's been in oil and gas for 20 years, right? And he's got about a million dollars of revenue coming through some producing wells in Oklahoma. And he's just a good dude. And he's got all the right people around him. And, uh, and he's got some great deals. He's got some great deals. But he's, he's got a, a good little base of a million bucks of revenue a year. Mm -hmm. So it's in Oklahoma. The company's called Define Energy. And... Um, all I'm going to say, because I can't talk about the ticker yet. Sure. Right. But all I'm going to say is that I told him, look, Roger, you've known me for a year. I'm going to take you public in two weeks. Watch me. Watch me. So I went and I found an older gentleman that had a ticker on the pink sheets that was wide open, ready to go. And he wants to partner. And so I put the, mer the MOU so that together. It's the whole process. Yep. Right? So I put the MOU together because on the pink sheets, it's alternative reporting. So all you need is financial statements that are at least third party prepared. They don't have to be audited. And it's a great stepping stone because now when you take money from an investor to invest into your company, to develop the company, you hand them a stock. Now they get to watch it go up and down and up and down, but you develop a better relationship with your investors, right? And it's very, you know, very few people can do what I'm describing here. The but financials have to be audited? Uh, well, on the pink sheets, no. They just have to be third party prepared. That's it. That's it. On the OTCQB, they need to be audited. It, that's basically like a stepping stone, a, a good landing place that's attractive to institutional investors on the OTCQB before going to the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. And so, so those deals do take longer. They don't take two weeks. And, you know, if you have an audit that expedites things, you can get it done in as little as two weeks, as long as you, you trust the process and you work with groups that have high integrity like ours, Right. I'm not looking to mislead somebody by taking control away from them if the situation or scenario doesn't warrant it. And that has happened to people. Absolutely happened to people. There's no shortage of crooks, robbers, and thieves in every industry. So we've vetted out and structured the deal in a way that allows for long-term continuity of the business owner to set themselves up on a path for success with the least dilutive capital option possible. Okay, and that that's... So like, you know, so I talked about the Oklahoma company Defiant. Yeah, right? real quickly, yeah. back to him. So what does the partnership look like between the owner of the company and the pink slip? Yep. So so he takes the 
he takes the uh, the control block of the pink sheet. He takes his existing shareholder base, converts the shares to mimic the public. The primary shareholder of the pink dilutes himself down. To what? To Ish. like 10%, 15%, okay. right? And so he doesn't really have control nope. over it? Okay. But he stays on the board. Sure. And he brings in his uh, CFO who can oversee uh, uplist readiness, right? To get up to the NASDAQ. Sure. So to get us compliant, right? So the pink sheets is a great stepping stone. And I always tell people, if you're going to invest in the pink sheets, do not invest on the pink sheets without talking to me first. And the reason I say that is because I've actually done the due diligence, observed bank records, literally put a mini little PwC audit in place to know what is a real company and what is not. Mm. Because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of companies that are ideas. Sure. And they might be good ideas, yeah, yeah. but they are ideas, sure. right? Now... Um, now, then you get into different scenarios, right? Like more established groups, like Stallion Oil is the hottest, hottest IPO coming to market over the next 30 days in the stack and the scoop in Oklahoma. That's like the heart of it. You know, they've tied up some of the best prospects. I'm talking about oil fields with 200 active producing wells that are producing on average about 200 barrel a day equivalent, right? If you do the math, that's about five and a half million dollars a year in revenue operating at about 35% margin. Right. And this was a field that was developed by like Chesapeake that spent $250 million developing it. Sure. You can make a great living in that space. Sure. And it, it's hard to call $5 million a year passive income revenue business, you know, eating somebody else's scraps. You're not. It's a, it's a, it's a business model. So, um, yeah, Paul Williams and the team at Stallion Oil, I mean, these guys have really just developed one of the best entrances in to Oklahoma. And so I'm excited. You know, we're, we're taking that one public within the next 30 days. The, the, I'd say probably one of the most interesting scenarios that we're working on is uh, with my mentor, uh, Marcus Lawn and, and David Seelock and, uh, and Daryl over at the team at Sky Quarry. I mean, this is one of, so listen to this guys, right? Like this is one of the best IPOs that I've ever been a part of. So they found a technology that was pre-revenue. They found a technology that would allow them to take asphalt shingles in landfills. And, and just so you everybody knows, 13 and a half million uh, tons a year of asphalt shingles go into landfills. They found like roofing material. Exactly, yeah. right? And asphalt, oil is a major, low-grade crude and oil is a major component to it, right? So, so they found a way to get paid to take those shingles out of the landfills to their two refinery sites, crush them, and refine and develop new reusable crude. For every ton of asphalt shingles you can get a barrel to a barrel and a half of oil. So on top of that too, we're also refining about 2,000 barrels a day for uh, Chevron. Uh, the company's doing about $60 million a year in revenue. Uh, they, they did it. They went down the reg A path, did a crowdfund. Then we raised about $12 million in senior secured debt for them. We're doing a little $10 million uh, uh, pre-IPO round of a private placement right before it. Um, we've already subscribed a, a fair amount of capital to it. Um, it doesn't get better than what Marcus and David Seelock have developed here. I mean, this this is it. So we we actually got awarded our, our our ticker for the Nasdaq. So this this goes live on the Nasdaq um, in the beginning of the year, twenty twenty four, which everybody's saying is going to be the best year for IPOs. Really? Yeah. 
yeah, we've got a hot medical technology IPO with Vitatech led by Jason Shearer and Lisa Terry. I mean, it doesn't get better than this. I mean, these guys just got awarded a $50 million manufacturing contract. They are one of the hottest emerging medical technology groups. It doesn't, I mean, they're based out of Minneapolis. They've got a 150,000 square foot facility. They're a contract manufacturer. Jason has grown this company overnight. Uh, year to date numbers just through September, 15 million a year in revenue, 6 million in EBITDA. I mean, this his patent portfolio, wow. yeah. I mean, Jason and Lisa have built something that is so special. Not, I'm excited to announce that we're taking that one public. This sounds like the answer to your earlier question about his his favorite deals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love those it. Those are all because I'm learning. I'm, yeah, as he's likewise. talking, I'm learning so Dude, much. My brain right hurts because oh, I've been learning since oh, before we hit record. I, 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 okay. So I will leave it at this, right? Because I haven't even told you about the best two deals yet. Let's and I'll keep go. them. I'll keep them quick, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so one of them is uh, one of my oldest contacts and partners in the oil and gas field. Me and this guy have made millions together, and we've had our fair share of ups and downs. And he does oil field services in construction, right? So, you're doing construction, but your customer is Exxon. They're going to pay yeah. as long as you do your job. They're going to pay, sure. right? It's one of the best spaces in. Um, and my buddy has just built a stellar rock star company doing 15 million a year, 2 million in EBITDA. And, um, he gave me the deal of a lifetime. He said, you know what, Josh, I know that my company's worth about 8 million. I'll give you 50% for a million bucks. I said, consider it done, consider it done. And I said, Un under one condition, we take it public through my mentor, Marcus Lons pink sheet. He said, done, done. So now what this does, right? This allows us to take a good foundation and again, create a currency. So now we have no shortage of companies that are doing between 3 million and 10 million a year in revenue that want in. No money up front, shares. They just want to be part of something bigger because they know that they can't give their business to their children. They can't give it to their wife. God forbid something were to happen, right? But they can give them a liquid stock, mm. right? And that's honestly one of the best things you can give to to your family liquidity yeah liquidity sure. that's that's an asset that's constantly growing right so so that that one i'm really 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 you know to answer your question that's probably the one that i'm most proud of that's is amazing. uh is this dirt work company out of west texas I, I can't go into too many specifics now you know being an insider on the transaction i have yeah, to be course. just really thoughtful of what's public and what's not but yeah that one that one's going to be just a home run and um and the last one that I'm excited to talk about is this trucking company. So, you know, that's how Mike and I crossed paths was through Elliot, who I knew when he was doing uh, his cannabis brokering. And we kept in touch, you know, and that's just the sign of, you know, really smart businessman. You know, always just watch, keep in touch, right? Well, I'd already kind of been in heavy haul trucking in West Texas, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do next. So I got involved with this scammer group uh, accidentally. And they scammed me into thinking that they had $20 million in a trust. They forgot to tell me that they had a $15 million loan against it. And so they took $5 million out, and they did this ahead of my due diligence. I told them not to do this, but they just took $5 million bucks out because they were freaking out. And they put a wire into another scammer trucking group, and they lost it. <laughs> I, I hate to laugh, right? But that's what happens when you only listen to yourself and you don't listen to the experts around you trying to help you. Wow. So they lost it. So, okay, I didn't know what to do, and I saw the writing on the wall. 
and they circumvented me with a family office I introduced them to. So I was like, all right, hey, sorry, guys, you know, I'm not going to work with you ever again. So then at the same time, a company they were trying to buy felt like the group was wasting their time. And I won't go into detail about that, but through Facebook, the CEO of that trucking company hits me up and he says, Josh, I want to do a deal together with you. I've read about you, heard about you. I feel like you're the right guy. I said, you know what? Let's fucking get under the hood. Let's get under the hood. It happened to be a trucking company doing $180 million a year in revenue. Okay. So we got under the hood and um, at first they wanted a liquidity event. And so in the market, we could have accomplished that. We had multiple alternative asset managers that were contemplating some sort of debt recap out. And we could still do it with expensive debt, but that's not necessarily in the best interest if we're all thinking long-term. And so we have to do a little bit more work. We have to get the audit completed, but we've got a clear timeline and path to do that. And once we have that audit completed, we've already got groups like Think Equity coming to the table, Maxim coming to the table that want to, you know, advise us from an investment banking standpoint and already have capital at their disposal, right? We've already got banks at the table um, to name a few, you know, major, major banks, you know, the, like the likes of JP Morgan Chase, you know, and Fifth Third and U.S. Bank at the table evaluating our scenario together with us. Um, they can't make a commitment until we have, you know, a solidified audit in place, right? But, you know, we've got a contract in place to say the least. Everybody's at the table here and we've all decided that this is the right move for the, the sellers, right? Ultimately, they were sellers. And now they're sellers of a smaller portion of that of their company, which they can continue to maintain control of and take direct to the NASDAQ. So yeah, energy trucking is going to be probably the biggest IPO that we've ever been a part of outside of Sky Query. Um, and, you know, I think where people fail a lot is they see money and they say to themselves, I want it all for me. And they forget that it's really important to put your investors first. You have to. If you don't put your investors first, you put yourself first, it's either a one-way ticket to jail and securities securities fraud, or it is a one-way ticket to failure and you're just going to fuck yourself, right? And there's no shortage of people that have done that. But when you put your investors first, and you have to remember who is your investor. Your investor is people with cash. Your investor is people with businesses. Your investor is people with vehicles, that are expensive vehicles that are on the stock market, right? And in, in those are all your investors. And you could be that central point that connects all of them together. And that could make you a lot of fucking money. If you're patient, if you put all of them first, if you spend your own money in, in contribute, you know, whether it be marketing or business development, you, you, you can create a $10 million asset portfolio in as little as 12 months, maybe even sooner, by, by embracing the system that we've developed and created. Um, and you could also make 250K your first year. You know, maybe you need to learn some stuff. Sure. Right? But, um, you know, I, I, I would love to find a way to help people embrace the mindset as early on in their life as possible of entrepreneurship, which means nothing in life is guaranteed, even that steady paycheck, right? Or or that 
that commission that you're expecting. Holy cow, I'm sure you guys can see the same thing. Like, if you could go back to when you started your business and know what you know now, I mean, how you didn't throw up every single day, <laughs> right? Like, oh, for sure. Holy crap. For sure. I, uh, well, first off, this has been a very insightful discussion. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, www.oilprivateequity.com um, or controlledinvestments.com um, or investordata.ai. Amazing. And yep. Instagram, your, your personal handles? Yep, uh, personal handle, joshcohen.nyc, investordata.ai, controlled.nyc. Amazing. Awesome. Love it. Appreciate you. Brother. I appreciate you guys. Really great meeting you. you and what a great conversation. I think a lot of people will get you a just lot got a master's. Right? Got a Seriously. master's in raising money. So I have so great. many so many follow-up questions too. <laughs> you can well, ask away. Well, after the recording, we're we're gonna keep chopping. Yeah, it absolutely. Thanks, check buddy. out his website. Thanks, yeah, check it out. I appreciate Thanks for joining it, us. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate it. Yes. Yeah.